0: Hey everybody! Welcome to the Fanalytics Fan podcast. Mike Lewis, Doug Battle, brought to you by the Emory Marketing Analytics Center. Doug, today our main topic will be a rundown of the quarterbacks in the AFC South. Uh, but before that, well, you know, Doug and I think there's been a lot of little things happening in the world of sports and popular culture over the weekend. So. I I don't really know where to start. I mean, anything, I mean, the one thing that did catch my eye was the pay-per-view results came in on that Jake Paul, uh, Tommy Fury fight, and they exceeded apparently 700,000 buys. So, you know, again, it's, uh, you know, I've I've gone back and forth on uh, Jake Paul and sort of the, the, this turning boxing into a full spectacle, But, man, if the path forward is get another social media star, maybe from another market,
1: maybe this stuff is still alive and well. Yeah, or the key is to get someone who people confuse with someone who's a better fighter. I talked to so many people this week who thought Tommy Fury was Tyson Fury, and they were very (laughs) impressed that Jake Paul could hold up with Tyson Fury Uh, And they were saying, this guy's the champion of the world. And Jake Paul was right there with them. This legitimized him in their eyes. So, (laughs) I mean, it's like, could you get Michael B. Jordan to play in a basketball game and sell out the arena because people think it might be the Michael Jordan? And I think there's some magic to that. I think that Tommy Fury's name almost being Tyson Fury might have been a huge part of the numbers being as good as they were. Well, that's interesting. I mean, if it, if it
0: is possible that there is this mistaken identity that literally people thought he was fighting the heavyweight champion of the world, <laughs> then you add into the fact that apparently he's a, a, a mega star in terms of reality TV in England. It, it does seem that there's still more legs in terms of constructing these events around branding rather than around athletic competition. I, I feel legitimately bad for the entire boxing industry you know maybe this is the death knell of real boxing that you know the the more jake paul and logan paul can sort of proceed with this the less likely it is that that sport's going to rebound and sort of catch uh you know catch the popular culture again um you know and we, we, and, and on top of it like we got we got ufc you know that that is sort of nibbled at some of the edges, then you got some of this novelty stuff taking away some of the the spectacle of boxing. Perhaps that's a sport that really is uh is gonna fade as we move forward,
1: yeah, and we've got some criticism, Mike, on socials for saying those types of things from the hardcore boxing community who would say, "Oh, boxing's alive and well, it's some of the best material we'll ever see." Uh, The product is very good, but I think the bottom line is the most talked about fight seems to be when it's Jake Paul or when it's Logan Paul against the Love Island guy or Tyson Fury's brother or whatever it is. And and I do think that that's a huge concern. It's like if we were talking about Michael B. Jordan and basketball playing a one-on-one game instead of talking about the NBA. And so, uh, just to clarify there, but you mentioned UFC, Mike. I uh, was at a Bachelor weekend this weekend, and people are always like, oh, what y'all do? did you do anything crazy? He was like, yeah, we ate steak and we watched the UFC fight. Like, what else would we do? Um, UFC, I think amongst my generation, <laughs> Mike's laughing, um, is pretty popular, more so than boxing, I would say. Well, and- well Doug, it seemed like a preemptive denial. You know what I mean. (laughs) UFC is pretty popular amongst my generation. Has caught some of that attention that boxing used to get. And one thing, one of my takeaways from this weekend watching the fight was John. This guy, John Jones, uh, heralded as the goat, presented as a Michael Jordan type figure in the UFC realm. Come to find out, the guy's got a pretty dark past with arrests domestic violence public intoxication and you know outing or acting uh all kinds of ways around cops in public and on video and you would have never known it watching the presentation this guy was heralded he was worshipped and it struck me Mike, is is boxing slash fighting is that like the one sport where guys can't Really get canceled because we had a week where like Jalen Carter might have dropped from potentially being the number one pick to who knows how far he drops over reckless driving essentially or drag racing um this John Jones guy though nobody batted an eye at you know five arrests or you know it didn't seem to to affect joe rogan's commentary. People I was watching with were just admiring the guy and his character for for being outspoken in his faith and Um, it just had me wondering, like, is, is fighting the sport for guys that are going to get canceled from the NFL? Yeah, it's, um, it's an interesting point and it's really a fascinating point, right? Because I think you're right because,
0: you know, as you're talking about John Jones not being canceled, you know, it, it occurs to me, well, Dana White didn't get canceled, right for right. his vacation with his wife over uh, over the like the new year's christmas holidays um joe rogan didn't get can, can canceled remember when audio footage yeah, that's appeared, right <laughs> that's know?
1: right uh, and, and it I was think, like he was he was too big to fail with the whole i mean wow. spotify couldn't even cancel him yeah and, it and would I, hurt their business i don't
0: know what the answer is on that right because it does seem that
1: the idea of being too big to fail really I mean, you got to be really big, right? I mean... But but you can never be too big to fail in entertainment or in other sports. Like Kanye West earlier this year was making a point about being too big to fail. fail, right? And he made a comment during that remark in which he became canceled. And still to this day, there I know people who won't listen to him or won't publicly play him or affiliate with him, wear his clothes, any of that because of his statement. And so I think that kind of proved the opposite point. And Adidas... You know, Adidas canceled
0: Kanye and cost them an enormous amount of money, right? I mean, so it really was you know, there 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 almost seems to be something more to this story than just the the financial side of the equation, right? I mean, uh, uh, Kanye's partnership with, with Adidas might have been the most important thing from a brand, if you think about the Adidas brand elements, Kanye was really important and they ended that Basically, instantly. Yeah. Um, I do suspect that the male female ratio of fans is really skewed towards the male in combat sports beyond any other sport. I, I suspect right. it's not even close that there are very very few women watching UFC and boxing. And again, you know, there's, there's always this inevitable pushback of there are female fans, absolutely, but it might be a ninety to ten split or a ninety five to five split. And so I suspect that there is just, you know, the the combat sports just end up being a little bit out of the mainstream Mm -hmm. in terms of, you know, when the, the cancellation hammer comes down, but look, Doug, I'm, I'm going to be completely, you know, sort of open on this one. I don't know how it doesn't right. Because Mm -hmm. it does seem like it's almost automatic. And like at this point in the NBA, if you make the wrong kind of, off-color joke, you're going to get a forty or fifty thousand dollar fine. You know, right. maybe you're not going to get canceled, but you're going to get pushed out. You know, you're going to have a problem. And in the UFC and in boxing, just business as usual. They keep going.
1: Yeah, we've seen a couple examples of UFC fighters slash mixed martial art fighters stepping out of the UFC realms and finding out that the rest of the world doesn't operate the same way. Uh, Gina Carano from The Mandalorian. <laughs> You know probably had her behavior probably was consistent with how it always had been, and she was heralded as a fighter and a model and an actress and uh but in the in the disney world her you know the same type of behavior didn't hold up. We of course have seen that with Joe Rogan, yeah. of course, there was pushback there, but he wasn't cancelled probably for financial reasons uh for Spotify and how much their business their podcasting business relies on him um uh, but it, you know it is it is quite an interesting observation of me that that's like the last remaining sport and you said something Mike about it being skewed toward male viewers i agree i gotta say when i was watching this weekend with a group of men uh i've never seen a group of guys so into a women's competition as when the women were fighting i like you turn on a women's basketball game dudes tune out like it's, it's just the way, and you the numbers likely reflect that as far as viewership and the lead up to the John Jones fight, there was a fight between two female mixed martial artists and that room was fired up. They were, you know, they were impressed. They were, and I'm like, man, that's a sport. That's a women's sport that has a lot of potential with a male audience, which might be unique. Do you think that sport has a lot of potential with a female audience? I don't know. I don't I don't I don't have a feel and I would love to see the numbers um yeah. as far as viewership for the for the female fights cuz I have no idea. I just observed, you know, the room I was in and I was like, wow, this is there really was no drop off in uh engagement. Well, Doug, I mean, like on a fundamental level, right? It's like
0: if, if we think about what you know, if, if we think about what sports the appeal of sports, right? That there's always going to be something sort of primal about the, about sports. And this is why combat sports, I think will always have a, a special kind of uh, occupy a special place in the world of sports, right? Because this Mm -hmm. is this primal kind of combat one-on-one, usually one-on-one type of sport. It's, uh, you know, and look, I'm absolutely a combat sports fan. I'll be, I'll be, you know, very honest here. You know, sometimes I feel guilty watching it. You know, when you see uh, a guy in there getting his brains rattled, you know the classic like chin shot ending to, to to lights out. It's it's uncomfortable. I mean, and I find it especially kind of like watching the crowd on those things, like the bloodlust for essentially these kind of gladiators. Mm-hmm. That it's um you know, so when I watch fighting, I I, I think I actually try try and. Watch it almost from a more technical perspective. Sure. I don't want to see anyone get knocked out because yeah. that's a very you know knockouts are really bad things to do to to have happen. But you know when you add in the the female combat sport
1: element, I feel guilty enough watching guys try Hit and each take other. each other yeah. off. Yeah, that's. I mean, I think that's my initial response, and so it was just shocking <laughs> to me. I was like, oh wow, this is like people and the, the crowd there, I mean, people are really into this. And uh mm-hmm. I feel you with the, I mean, it's like when you're watching football, like you don't really want to see someone get CTE, you know, that's how I feel. Or when you're watching a NASCAR race, you don't really want to see someone's car catch on fire with a human being inside. And, the, but that's kind of the, the yeah. part of the thrill of the sport, you know, with, with football, it's those big hits. And with NASCAR, sometimes it is the big crashes and, with boxing, of course, or with uh MMA, any kind of martial art, there's that desire amongst that lust amongst a lot of the crowd for a knockout to see someone just get totally wiped out. And I mean, it's kind of uncomfortable just to see like their ears, you know, they all got the cauliflower ears, <laughs> like the guys and uh their faces are disfigured. The one thing I, I especially noted from the, the women's fight was that in their pictures, all the women are done up like they have (laughs) makeup and their hair is done and by the end of the fight they're very unrecognizable because there's a lot of swelling in the face and broken noses and stuff and it's like i don't know apparently people want to watch that happen to a person (laughs) more so than i would have thought i'm a casual when it comes to fighting and so i know i'm sure there's someone listening like oh this guy didn't know what he's talking about i don't uh that's not my area of expertise and i'm just i was just making observations uh about the sport and its fans
0: Doug, on a primal level, sports probably comes from like this notion of you know sort of play fighting, right? Yeah. This idea because you know we go back to the sort of you know let's say caveman roots, and it's like, well, was was one tribe going to defeat the other tribe, and the yeah. way you get ready for that is is play fighting, and that turns into you know throwing things is like throwing a spear, you know, fighting is is you know physical combat and so there probably is something deep inside of us that is drawn to that um and you you see it in all the, you know basketball is about physical domination right being able to mm-hmm. jump over people being more accurate with your shooting postering somebody quality. yeah it's all yeah you know but but you know that kind of stuff it's almost like people don't even want to think it all the way through in terms of but it's definitely part of why
1: we care about sports right our, our no, cave men yeah, that's a very philosophical <laughs> analysis of what's going on. But
0: let me add one thing. Remember the day back in the day, like five six years ago, Ronda Rousey was probably the biggest UFC star. Yeah, right. No, you're right. I mean, the biggest name for sure. And I think at that moment, that was sort of shocking. That, or at least maybe not shocking, but it was surprising that a, a female fighter could be could really drive pay per view results. Do you notice that, I mean, there's only one or two female fights on any card, yeah, right. And so you could almost argue that you know if you added in basketball, a game doesn't really lend itself to this. I mean, but imagine if you were doing a tennis card, right, mm-hmm. or or something like that, if you had eight matches, men's matches, and then two female matches, right? that I think that would absolutely resonate with with consumers, right? Mm-hmm. that that having that kind of mix, But I don't
1: think they've ever approached like a 50-50 card even. it's Again, it's it's, in my eyes, the only, I guess in my experience, the only female sporting event I've seen that probably was majority men who were engaged with it. You wouldn't see that with, I don't think, soccer, tennis, volleyball, across the board. Uh, and, And that was striking to me. And so that that is my takeaway from this weekend. Of course, the John Jones uh lack of cancellation was also interesting in the climate that we're in and what we're seeing across sports. But I think you're sports. right. And we,
0: and we can leave the UFC behind. But it is it is interest fascinating that the UFC does seem to be different. Right. Mm-hmm. That they are kind of and, and maybe like, we'd say UFC and combat sports are in their own category. Yeah. But they are kind of they operate separate from the the majority of the sports uh, sports
1: world so another current event this week that I took a lot of note of was the NFL combine kind of snuck up on us uh, like it does. And the NFL has a way of keeping their calendar filled with storylines year round, even when there's not competition going on between teams. Uh, and a lot a lot going on. We can touch on some of it when we're talking about the teams, but, a couple really uh, memorable moments. One was Darnell Washington pushing the sled about making it look about ten times easier than any other uh, yeah. tight end. And that guy is like a mutant, Mike. He is. I mean, I've seen him in person. He's they. I think they measured him at six seven when he's got cleats and a helmet on. I mean, he's like six nine, <laughs> uh, pretty fast. Like I don't know, he ran like a four five four six somewhere in there and for a big guy amazing hands i think he has the biggest hands of any tight end ever coming out of the combine uh as well as i don't know what his vertical was but i mean the dude is just a freak like i said he's like a mutant and he might be the first number 2 tight end on a college team to go in the first round of a draft i'm not i don't know if that's going to happen but i wouldn't be shocked after this combine yeah
0: i mean you know every year and i, I... Every year, right? There's always these workout warriors that, uh, and I don't mean that the way it sounds, but you know these guys yeah. that get to the combine, and suddenly it's like, wow, this this cornerback ran a four point two seven forty, right? And suddenly yeah. everyone's got to have the guy. I, mean, I know there was some speculation that um, Anthony Richardson was going to go to the combine, and the athleticism was going to rocket him up the draft charts, but hey. You know, your, your observation that a number two tight end could go in the first round based on the physical attributes, uh, you know, I, I don't really know how to get my head around it, but that's a, that again, what a great story in terms of like, if you think about the big picture of college football and mm-hmm. what's happening there with the concentration of talent exactly, and how else can even change that. Right. So, yeah. Yeah.
1: And, and to go back a year, Washington, I know this cause I follow Georgia closely, um, Washington was looking at transferring. He was looking at transferring to Florida State. Uh, he was in talks with Alabama and ended up staying at Georgia, but I, he knew he was going to be the number two tight end. And, you know, it may, it may not even matter. I mean, I know there was, he, I'm sure he made some NIL money at Georgia and, of course, played on a great team, was able to win another championship um uh, but yeah seeing a number 2 player at his position maybe be the number 1 player in the draft at his position is quite telling about the nature of college football and how top heavy it is in this day and age with NIL with the transfer portal um you mentioned Anthony Richardson I have heard more buzz about Anthony Richardson I didn't even know if Bryce Young was there outside of seeing <laughs> pictures of him looking short yeah. Um, ambush photography, right? <laughs> yeah. His high heels <laughs> yeah. um, that he basically had on walking in. Uh, I but other than that, not a lot of not a lot of young buzz and a lot yeah. of Anthony Richardson. Uh, no, people but, are fired up. Don't you suspect that like the 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 Bryce Young situation
0: was probably almost like the old school like people magazine paparazzi, everyone trying to get shots of him every time he made the mistake and stood next to a six six offensive lineman. Yeah, you know, it was like He was pure photo op-driven stuff.
1: Yeah, it was like TMZ following him around, waiting for the moment. And uh, yeah, not a very tall guy. I think Alabama had five players who were like an inch or two shorter than what they had listed on their website for their players, Bryce Young being one of them. Um, And so, but Anthony Richardson kind of stealing the hype with the combine. He's one of those guys... I, I know so many scouts are probably selling themselves on him and and a bunch of fans are going to. I I'll say this. I would take him as a tight end prospect. I think he's an elite tight end prospect. I think like, hey, if he doesn't pan out as a quarterback, you got probably a, a first team tight end right there. Compare him to Darnell Washington, compare him to some of those other top tight ends athletically, uh, and you got something. But he's one, you know, with quarterbacks, Mike, how many times have we seen a guy who has all the tangibles? who didn't show that they had the it factor in college, and it's they never developed past that. And uh, that would be my concern if my team was taking or looking at Anthony Richardson.
0: And I'm just going to shake my head, right? I mean, it's like, you know, you go back to the old school idea of like the Parcells rules that, you know, Bill Parcells heuristics for drafting quarterbacks, and it's, you know, three-year starter, wins 23 games. You know, and, and... People might go, well, the game has changed. Bill Parcells is passe. But, you know, what was Parcells really talking about? Even if he didn't say it, it was like, you want your quarterback to be experienced. You want him to have leadership abilities. You want him to be a proven winner, right? Mm-hmm. And historically, right, these these guys sort of one-hit wonders. And, and you could say Anthony Richardson wasn't even a one-hit wonder, right? <sighs> Just pure physical talent that when I see these, in again, like Trey Lance might be the most recent one, yeah. Um, it was a Jamarcus Russell back in the day. Ryan Leaf, I think, was really kind of just known for one, one year. I mean, a lot of the classic busts are these guys falling in love with these quarterbacks that don't have sort of the in-game experience and in-game success. Yeah. It, so, yeah, I mean, you know, yeah. we talked about it with, you know, like this idea of you know, drafting guys that scare you as a general manager. Terrifying. What did Florida do last year, Doug? What were they, like a 6-5 and five kind of team?
1: Yeah, somewhere around there. Okay. Uh, they were no. – there the first three weeks of the season, I think people were talking playoff and that – well, they, they they beat they – who was it? They, the they beat Utah. They beat Utah early on and people were saying, oh, this might be the hardest game on their schedule. Uh, not true. Yeah. <laughs> not true. Had Tennessee, had Georgia, a couple others. So, um, yeah, that one's fascinating to me because – this the age-old argument of like, well, this guy d- isn't a winner. He hasn't won. But on the flip side, you see busts that are like, like Trent Richardson at Alabama, like won the Heisman, won a national championship, but he's running behind the best offensive line ever. And he's, the, you know, and it's, so it's like some guys, their teams make them look better than they are. Um, and, and that's kind of my like struggle. It's like with Anthony Richardson, if you put him on Georgia's team this year, would Georgia not have won a national championship? He probably would have won a national championship and people would look at him totally different. And I said the same thing about Daniel. He put Daniel Jones on the LSU Joe Burrow team. People talk about Daniel Jones like he's Joe Burrow. Um, and, well, and so I think you can play that game with these but, guys. Uh, and with Richardson, the counter argument that people make is like, look at Josh Allen. He was supposed to be a project and now he's, he's a complete package. And the counter to that, of course, is what has Josh Allen won in the NFL? Well, Doug, I think what you got to do, and this is what people don't, you know, you got to
0: think probabilistically, right? You got to think yep. in terms of like the probability of different outcomes. And Anthony Richardson might be the most talented. Uh, well, outside. it's just you know, the most talented quarterback prospect, physically talented quarterback prospect yep. in the history of the game. That might be fine, right? But then you look at the other, the other aspects of his history and his performance and his outcomes, and. You know, so it's not just a matter of saying, well, this guy is, a." because in some ways it's like you're you're looking at the Madden thing and say like he's a 99 quarterback physically, yeah. right? But you probably have to look at it like there's a 10% chance he's a 99 number quarterback and there's a 50% chance he's a 90 quarterback and there's a 40% chance that he's a, and I don't know what a bad Madden score is, that he's a 64 quarterback. That's pretty bad, right? yeah. And so when you look at it in those terms, then as the general manager, you probably look at it going, well, there's a 50% chance this guy gets me fired, and there's a 5% chance he wins me multiple Super Bowls. He's Patrick Mahomes,
1: yeah. 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 And, you know, I my counter, and I kind of brought this up earlier with guys like Richardson, guys like when Lamar Jackson was in the draft, is I just say he's an elite athlete. There's a 5% chance he ends up being a Super Bowl winning quarterback. If he's not, just transition. You think Justin Fields couldn't play running back or tight end? Have you seen him run the football? Like you think Trey Lance couldn't? You think Lamar Jackson, like these guys that are such elite athletes, like there's a place for them on the football field. And I, I think you can hedge your bets by transitioning them. I think the problem is when you invest quarterback money in a player. Um, and, and, you know, it's gotta be a franchise quarterback if you're taking them this high in the draft and with Richardson, I I do think there's this sense of the odds of that happening seem low, even though his upside seems remarkable. And I think a lot of coaches have the confidence that, you know, I want to take this kid and I want to mold him and I want to fix him. And he's got the pieces, you know, he's Darth Vader and I'm Palpatine and I'm going to like mold him (laughs) into the guy that's going to dominate. And, and it all goes back to star Wars, Mike. Yeah, of course it does uh,
0: <laughs> the gen z gen x podcast okay uh, you know you mentioned quarterback dollars and so maybe that's a good transition point to talking yeah. about the afc south quarterback narratives um but even before you know we, we dig into the AFC South big news this morning was that Derek Carr had signed for 4 years 150 million dollars or so with about 100 million dollars guaranteed so Doug I'll, I'll make an observation you know I'm I'm obsessed with quarterbacks that's how I view the NFL Doug we're going to start to see well and the other story that came out was Philip Philip Rivers talking about making a comeback so at this point a quarterback, but I don't know where this stops, right? If you're Ben Roethlisberger, Philip Rivers, um, you know, Drew Brees, there might be a hundred million dollars out there for the next two
1: years. I don't okay. I don't want my team taking them.
0: You might not, but there might be a literally, we're talking about a hundred million dollars for the next two years. And and when I think about You know the money that Carr got, and some of the money that's been floated around for for Jackson and uh, Deshaun Watson last couple of years, Doug. We're actually gonna we're gonna see an athlete, and it's probably Mahomes that's gonna make a billion dollars in salary over the course of their career, right? This is something kind of different, and just like really should should throw a spotlight on this quarterback position um, that it's just. It's getting kind of it's getting kind of nutty out there.
1: Yeah, we're not uh, Lamar Jackson haters here, but we have made a lot of observations as to the risks of signing a player like that for that kind of money. I will say, some of these deals make me feel like maybe Lamar Jackson isn't the worst deal out there for what for what he's going to demand and what you're going to get. I'd rather have you know, as a Giants fan, would I rather go a hundred million for? Philip rivers for a couple years or just like go all in on Lamar Jackson. I'd much rather go all in on Lamar Jackson and, and I'm sure uh, Ravens fans feel the same. And I'm sure, you know, there's a lot of people, I'm sure saints fans aren't super stoked about Derek Carr when they were thinking Lamar Jackson, they were thinking, you know, maybe some, somebody in the draft. I think they'd probably rather have an Anthony Richardson with the high upside where they at least don't know, you know, what his ceiling is. Um, and so, The NFL, it's like we forget. We get so fixated on it's got to be Josh Allen or Patrick Mahomes. Like Unless you're building around one of those type of players, it's all a wash and you need to start over. Whereas like the reality for a lot of teams is having a guy like Lamar Jackson is probably your best bet (laughs) moving forward when Mahomes isn't on the market and Josh Allen isn't on the market and Justin Herbert's not on the market. And your option is jackson or a guy like geno smith or a guy like philip rivers coming off of a uh, pretty dismal last year and potentially i don't, I don't know what team's going to be throwing a lot of money at him but um great careers just for his age and his performance in recent years it's hard to imagine getting excited about that yeah. guy leading your franchise well I and mean, again I,
0: I, it's it's important back sort of an important backdrop for any of these discussions about quarterbacks in terms of how much are these guys going to cost going going forward and potential renegotiated negotiations and signing guys to longer term deals um, earlier than you might want to. Um, in the AFC South, you know, the winner of that division was the Jacksonville Jaguars. And they were led by Trevor Lawrence. Uh, Trevor Lawrence threw for 25. I'm going to keep the stats kind of simple this week 25 Mm. touchdowns eight versus eight interceptions i think that ratio and the the number of touchdowns is probably the the shortest easiest way the most complete way of looking at these guys without getting into the weeds um versus uh i think it was 12 touchdowns and 17 interceptions in his first year so this uh, heralded quarterback class of twenty twenty one, we have a pretty clear winner, I think, uh, mm-hmm. who take who took Jacksonville to an above five hundred record and in getting into the playoffs. if I'm in the, you know if I'm just ranking AFC quarterback prospects, he's in the top five for me. He's like the guy that has now shown the with the college background, the level of experience, and his trajectory and improvement a, as a pro. I think he starts to enter the conversation, much like Joe Burrow, of mm-hmm. you got to pay this guy early and say, hey, maybe maybe Trevor's not going to reach the, lever, uh, the level of Mahomes, but it's hard to find a guy that's going to potentially put you into that discussion about playoffs and, and Super Bowl. you got to lock this kid up as soon as possible.
1: I don't know if we've ever seen as quick a turnaround as Trevor Lawrence saw last year in year two for a quarterback burrow. It was pretty much immediate uh, in Cincinnati for Jacksonville to go from the number one pick in the draft last year. We forget that with Trayvon Walker. So they were the worst team in football a year ago. And in one year going from the worst team of football to winning the AFC South, uh nine and eight, Trevor Lawrence, all of a sudden, looking like Peyton Manning at times. I went to a Jaguars game, and I hadn't seen him play in a while since last year at the time, and I was blown away. I was like, is this Peyton Manning? He had total control of the offense. He was totally calm, cool, and collected. He was everything that he was hyped up to be since he was a high school prospect, and it just took the right coach pairing and maybe a year of experience, and all of a sudden, it looks like, Jacksonville's in a very similar situation to Cincinnati. Like you mentioned, Trevor Lawrence is positioned to be a Mahomes or a Josh Allen, one of those top five guys in the league. And this is my question looking at the AFC South. Teams like the Titans and the Colts have been competitive to a degree over the last 10 years. Lots of 10 win teams, lots of playoff teams. The Jaguars have been atrocious. As an NFL fan, would you rather see your team become the Jaguars? and absolutely tank to get a player like Lawrence for the next 10, 15 years? Or would you rather be competitive every year like the Titans seem to be and yet always be at best, you know, an AFC runner-up come playoff time? Championships.
0: I mean, that's the, that's, the, that's the tough thing about this equation, right? How many losing seasons would you trade for a championship? Yeah, I mean, that, that kind of glory, you know, look, Doug, you're a Georgia fan, so you know the pain and anguish of being competitive, right? Yeah. Versus yeah. last year where, you know, in some ways, what was that, 65-7 to seven in the national championship game?
1: Yeah, and I, I used to be that probably envious. The
0: first, that was probably the first time as a Georgia fan you didn't have any stress. Yeah. That it was pure joy, like the only half of football you've ever
1: truly enjoyed. I used to be envious of Auburn. Um, because in my lifetime, up until two years ago, Georgia had a far more winning record than Auburn. They, I mean, it wasn't even close. And in the head to head, it's like 20 to two or something. Like it, it was not even close. Auburn had a lot of 500 seasons. I think their average over, you know, 10, 15 year span might've been 500, whereas Georgia's was like 10 and two every year. And yet Auburn had one championship runner-up year and one national championship year and Georgia didn't have any championships to show for it. And I was like, I would trade so many years of going yeah. five and seven or four and eight or whatever to just have that championship. And so, you know, if I'm looking at this, it's like, I, I might rather be the Texans than the Titans right now. The Titans are a very competitive team. Uh, they've been considered a Super Bowl contender in recent years, but the question has always been, can Ryan Tannehill get him over the hump? You know, and, and they're not able to draft a top ten pick. So, like quarterback wise, they're only able to bring in someone like Malik Willis, who's got a high upside, but also a pretty low percent chance of becoming that top quarterback. And a team like the Texans with, uh, you know, Bryce Young, CJ Stroud, <laughs> Anthony Richardson, Will Levis, like these guys that all you know in their eyes have the capacity. To to become, if they pick the right one, to to have one of the top quarterbacks in the AFC, you know, I, I think that Texans fans probably have a little bit more reason to be optimistic or hopeful than the Titans fans, even though the Titans might win more games this year.
0: Yeah, I think I, th- I think that's fair. You know, um, the Titans probably. Well, let me let me add one last thought to the the Trevor Lawrence, and we'll move on yeah. to the Titans. You yeah. Know, it, yeah, you know the. The issue—it might seem crazy to tar- start talking about paying a guy going into his third year without proving it for that extra year—but I-, I think these executives have got to look at this. That if there's a reset of the quarterback market, and that could very well be to sixty million over, let's say, five years with Lamar Jackson, then potentially, you know, that Trevor Lawrence and those that Joe Burrow price is going to go from 50 million right now to 60 or 65 million dollars per per year and so oh, it's yeah. you know it's kind of playing the playing the long game here. Okay so you you mentioned the Titans. Yeah, the Titans are in purgatory. Right? I mean they they've had some amazing seasons I think they were 13 and 3 the year before last. Mm-hmm. Uh, they slipped to below 500 They've got a quarterback in Ryan Tannehill, who um, in 21 was 21 touchdowns, 14 interceptions. Regressed to 13 and six with some injuries I think going on last year. This is, you know, in some ways, you know, we talked about Derek Carr signing. That's that's the kind of player that I think of Ryan Tannehill. Good player. Going to make a Pro Bowl once in a while. Going to lead his team to some playoff runs. But in some ways, just going to lead it to, you know, kind of frustration. This I'll, this, this
1: I'll, sense that you're not going anywhere. I'll take Carr over Tannehill for what it's okay. worth. But yeah, I think that the Titans and, and letting uh, A.J. Brown walk, you know, sending him to uh, Philly and watching him become an elite (laughs) receiver and come to find out, you know, maybe it was the offense, maybe it was the quarterback, maybe it's the system that he was in, um, and and he was kind of set free in Philadelphia and the Titans when they were winning, I think the criticism was that they were winning in boring fashion, you know, it was ground and pound defense kind of old school. Um, and, and the question was, you know, can that win championships in the modern era? We haven't seen a lot of that in recent years in the NFL, particularly, uh, and so I think college football probably had a little bit more of that. Uh, but still, it's it's been a while in both both leagues. And so the Tennessee Titans seven and ten last year, you know, right at that spot where it's like you can't get a top quarterback prospect in the draft. Uh, you know, they're not going to get a Stroud or Richardson or Bryce Young and you know, well, you know,
0: so it's sometimes we talk, they, you know, the people want to talk about the Super Bowl window closing. That's closing on the Titans, right? I mean, you know, I, I think Tannehill's, uh, Tannehill's got one year left on a hundred and basically a four year, $120 million deal. Uh, you know, I mean, it, that's
1: a team I, that it's like, can they, do they have money for Aaron Rodgers? You know, like if their window's closing and it's all about championships, why not? kind of like Tampa a couple years ago with Tom Brady. It's like, well, he might not be the face of the franchise for very long, but why not make a big run at one championship while the rest of your roster is pretty solid? Uh, I I think Tennessee's got to be thinking that way. I know that they were in the running for Brady. People forget they were in the running for Brady that offseason. And had he gone there, who knows what
0: would happen. The the reason why I said that their window's probably closing is that Derrick Henry is a seven-year player. Yeah. right. And, And so they're sort of different... You can, you know, if if I always want to focus on the quarterbacks to look at NFL teams, you could argue that Tennessee was probably the one exception to that rule that this was really a running back led team as much as it was a quarterback team and perhaps even perhaps even more. So I, I think, you know, not a lot of stardom in eight year, nine year, 10 year running backs. And so, you know, this is probably a team that the general manager has got to be looking at we're going to trend down for a little and then we come back up. So you're you're probably right that, you know, drafting a quarterback prospect, you know, or waiting a year to get a more elite quarterback prospect, but it's got to be a tough, it can't be a fun place to work at this moment, given the trajectory and the age of some of these players. Um, You know, Tannehill might be a loyal kind of foot soldier for Tennessee. Tough idea to re-sign that guy at 40, $45 million a year per contract with how things look.
1: Yeah, to me, I've always viewed him as a Trubisky-type quarterback, and I mean that's kind of how I value him. Now, Derek Henry, Mike, you mentioned Derek. He's reportedly on the trading block. Kind of an interesting situation where you have a player who it's like, at any given year, he looks like the MVP of the league, but he's 29 years old and he's a running back and he's got a lot of mileage on him because he ran a lot at Alabama. Uh and then so I mean he's got he's got 10 years of pretty much professional football mileage on him. I it's hard to imagine a team giving up significant assets for a player at that point in his career. What do you think the the trade value of a guy like Derrick Henry is?
0: I, I at think this point little, in his career. I think very little, right? I think it's all you know that I I think there's always this tendency, like this recency bias to look at the most, you know, what's, what's happened lately and Ezekiel Elliott, uh, Todd Gurley, uh, and Bell. Yeah. Right. And so like this idea of, well, the running backs are going to get that, that big second deal, or maybe even get into that third deal. I don't see anyone. I don't see anyone, you know, they got to find that right, that right situation where there's a missing piece for that quest for that championship.
1: Yeah, and I think that uh like I've seen speculation about Nick Chubb for the Browns, who clearly has been the best player on their football team in recent years and has kind of carried that team to the wins that they have had. 27 years old and there's speculation that the Browns would be willing to trade him. Some of the fans aren't super stoked about that. And it's like I I'm, I'm a Chubb guy, you know, I went to school at the same time as him at Georgia, um but my my question there is like I mean, I I get it, you know. I I could understand looking at it and saying, this guy is, like, probably the highest value. He's You know, it's kind of like, buy low, sell high. Like, they bought him in the second round. They can sell him after just about 10 years of use. I don't know how many, six, seven, eight years of use. Great use, production, and recoup some assets in return for him. Like, I get it for the Browns if they were to do that. The fans would hate it. Um, Nick Chubb's beloved. And for good reason, and he's not just a great football player, but he's a leader, but I get it. If if the GM were to do something like that. So with Henry, you know, with Chubb, it's like, that's a really tough one to me because he might be the best running back in the NFL right now. Um, But he's 27, like I said, and, you know, maybe he has that, that career of um, Frank Gore or someone like that, who who maintains this level of production for much longer, but that would be, uh, you know, uh, that would be an outlier. And Derrick Henry just seems like it seems like he's already starting to trail off a little bit, and so I'm really curious to see if these guys get traded, and if so, what their value. You know, is it a six round pick for Derrick Henry? (laughs) Is it a a, is it a third round pick? Is it a second round pick? I have no idea what their value is right now, so that's something to keep an eye on this offseason. Yeah,
0: I I think I mean you're absolutely right. Right, It, it is. It's a it's a funny thing that the value might be something like a third or a fourth round pick versus a guy that might be potentially the league MVP for a season. You know, that's, you know, sometimes I get the sense that like some of these trades are kind of overvalued and then you see something where, you know, a a blockbuster trade sort of sets a team up for for years and years. Yeah. Um, But then, you know, it's like, suddenly you see like a potential MVP running back being traded for a third rounder and that third rounder sometimes doesn't even make the roster, right? right? So it's,
1: Know, yeah, it's those are the the hard ones for me. Those are the hardest decisions in in football. Um, but but and you look at it and you're like, wow, a a third round pick for Derrick Henry, a guy who could be the MVP of the league. Then you look at Todd Gurley and what he, you know, where his level of production was at that age. It's like you want to give up a third round pick for that, especially if you look at some of the guys drafted in the third round over the years, guys who become pro bowlers, guys who become 10 year starters. And so, uh, those trades are the most interesting in football to me because they always feel like steals. Uh, and when you're playing Madden, you make those trades because you're playing for one season and you're like, yeah, I want the best running back in the lead. I'll give you a fourth round pick and a fifth round pick for him. Uh, but in, in reality, with the long game and play, it's a different ball game. Number
0: three is the Colts and Matt Ryan. Now, this is one that going into the season, you know, I, Matt Ryan's performance did not surprise me at all for the Colts. Looking at the data, looking at his performance, this seemed to be about what you might expect. Now, I think Ryan was, uh, he's an unrestricted free agent in 24. So he's got one more year. He ends up being, again, kind of one of these really, you know, it's almost like there's got to be some analogy for this, but this, this mistake that general managers are likely to make right where they say i've got this roster that i really like and so i'll take this like the russell wilson deal right or maybe bring back uh, rivers that i'll bring back this veteran quarterback maybe they can find some some magic something still left in the tank and we can get to the super bowl for the most part I, so it is exactly what you're saying of this is the opportunity to play the one year game right i bring in this guy in for one year i, I hate it you know, to me, it's like you're trying, you're, you're like rolling the dice on a long shot. And it se- seems to seldom work out for me. And it's like, I, I think people get fixated on the Tom Brady wasn't doing so great in, uh, in New England. So we, we can sort of play that, that game again and get to sort of get over the hump. Um, Ryan yeah. had 14 touchdowns, 30, 13 interceptions versus 20 and 12 in 21. It's, um. You know, it it, it was. I mean, in the the one aspect of this that I think potentially makes some sense is if you roll the dice and things don't work out well, the Colts have the fourth pick in the draft. There's been some talk about the Colts moving up. I mean, both of the, the final two teams in this division, the Colts and the Texans, are very likely to draft quarterbacks. Mm-hmm. So suddenly maybe you're transitioning to a different type, type of situation where the idea is we'll keep Matt Ryan around for one more year and we'll ease in our you know, highly drafted pick one through five type, type quarterback. Does Ryan want to do that? I don't know. Um, you know, cause look, and again, this is how the salary market starts to make all this stuff crazy. Matt Ryan might be looking at it as, Hey, if this is not going to work out with the Colts, maybe there's another team out there that will give me a hundred million dollars for two years. I would like to take that hundred million dollars.
1: Yeah. If I'm Matt Ryan, I just say, yeah, I'll, I'll be the support buddy for Bryce Young or (laughs) CJ Stroud and get paid like a starting quarterback to, uh, Practice and show him the ropes, but yeah, I mean, as much as I'm critical of these moves, you know, we talk about Russell Wilson, we talk about Matt Ryan last year, now Philip Rivers, I kind of get it. Like earlier in this conversation, we brought up Anthony Richardson, a guy with all the physical tools, and yet it's like we already know that it factor that like quarterback ability. It seems like in the NFL, like the brain is more important than the body of these players, and so when a team like the Colts brings in a Matt Ryan. They bring in a guy who's a former league MVP who's never relied entirely on his athleticism. It's always been the, the inner characteristics of the player that make him a winner. And so I think a team like that sees a winner and they say, you know, we've got a good enough line. We've got a good, good enough receivers, defense, all the rest. We just need a guy that's not going to lose us games. A winner is not going to lose you games. Like Tom Brady wasn't going to lose the Bucks games. Even you go back to Peyton Manning in Denver. Not a great player at that point in his career. Uh, pretty underwhelming performances across the board. Won a championship. He was, you know, he was a winner. He, was, he had command of the offense. He knew how to lead the group. And so I understand why teams like the Colts, teams like the Broncos make these moves. Um, and like you mentioned, you know, worst case scenario for the Colts, they, they, it was kind of a boomer bust thing, and they tanked. And it's better to tank in the NFL uh, than to be in a situation like the Titans, in my opinion. So I don't think they're in the worst position that they could possibly be in. And it will be interesting. I would kind of expect Matt Ryan to to be quarterback, start the year, hand it off, kind of the traditional uh, mm-hmm. changing of the guards at quarterback that we've seen over the years with veterans and, and young draft picks. Um, so I, I'm definitely, uh, I wouldn't be super optimistic on Matt Ryan, a Matt Ryan-led Colts team, but that's a team, they've probably got their pick of C.J. Stroud, Will Levis, and, uh Anthony Richardson. Uh, I mean, all the top quarterbacks outside are probably Bryce Young. I don't know. Well, of course, some of those guys might get reached for. I mean, Jalen Carter dropping might hurt their case with with some of the quarterbacks because there's going to be one taken a little bit sooner than expected, I would imagine. And again, you know, the salary market and the salary cap,
0: yeah, are playing an enormous role behind the scenes on anything related to Matt Ryan, right? So the number right, list start- is that you know releasing him would save the the Colts 17 million dollars in cap space so this is all kind of this uh, this equation of they they're moving on and so is it worth to keep him around a little bit and on the other side does Matt Ryan look at it and go i mean like Matt Ryan might be looking at it and go i you know it's time for me to join an announcing booth you know frankly <laughs> but he might be looking at it like you know i want another 100 million dollar contract so
1: i got to get out of here well looking at how much <laughs> Tony Romo and Tom Brady are going to be making as announcers. That that gig might be higher paying than the backup quarterback or even the starting quarterback gig uh, for a guy like Matt Ryan, who probably is. I mean, he seems pretty well suited for that. So that that could be in his future as well. Uh, we'll see what happens. I just I feel like this year is a really good year. It's never a bad year to have a top pick. This year's a really good year to have a top pick in the quarterback, as far as quarterbacks go. Because if you don't have a quarterback this year. Your options are probably overpaying for uh, guys that are unrestricted free agents. And those guys that I've seen are not proven winners. Um, Derek Carr, Lamar Jackson, Daniel Jones, a lot of talent, a lot of talent between these guys. And maybe one of them will see that next level of success at their next stop. I don't know, but I I would much rather not spend the $40 million or however much (laughs) these guys are demanding. Mm -hmm and 40, 50, 60, whatever it is, and, and take a rookie quarterback with the high upside and just go that route and see if they pan out and they don't do it again until you, until you, you know, catch lightning in a bottle uh, like the Bills did with Josh Allen or the Chargers with Justin Herbert.
0: So a lot of this is it, it's a good way to sort of sum it up. You're in a position where potentially you're going to devote a quarter of your salary cap to a guy that feels like a mid-range guy. Versus going into the to the rookie market and having a cost controlled quarterback. Uh, the last team on our list, the Houston Texans, is definitely going to select a quarterback in the first few picks of the the upcoming draft. Uh, I don't know that there's much more to say beyond that. I mean they they are probably they have pick number two, so they're in playing a, a little bit of a waiting game and sort of a you know, this, this game of chicken in terms of the bears and the, and the Colts potentially, uh, where the upside is to, I guess, draft Bryce Young ahead of CJ Stroud. To be honest with you, Doug, as I look at that, and and again, we had some fun with Bryce Young and everyone had some fun with Bryce Young's height. I don't know that I make a move. I might look at these guys and kind of go, you know, I look at the top quarterback group, and I'm kind of willing to roll the dice on whoever lands in my place. I don't, I don't have some firm expectation that you know Trevor Lawrence is the guy more than Justin Fields, or you know this one seems less clear
1: cut to me. That's, so you don't have you don't have a top QB. Like if you're a QB needy team, you have the number one pick this year. Okay, so you me watching Bryce Young at Alabama. As an opposing fan,
0: I would think, and this is nothing but a compliment to Bryce Young, he felt inevitable, right? I don't want to have him have the ball. He felt like Tom Brady-like, right? I don't want him to have the ball with two minutes left in the game on the line. But the physical limitations suddenly make me kind of raise this enormous question mark. And again, I view this stuff probabilistically. Very talented player, very talented player at the high school ranks, at the college ranks. Um, I assume he will test well on every aspect except for height and potentially hand... How do you do it hand size, Doug? Uh, at, at the Combine. But when you look at that stature, then suddenly you have to say, well, there's some percentage, some possibility that he's going to struggle more than a taller quarterback. And so I find myself, you know, I, I would almost want to let the fates then decide which quarterback I went with.
1: Yeah, I, I personally... Does a big st- it just happened the analytics professor
0: just said i'm going to let fate decide my quarterback position <laughs> <laughs>
1: okay. throw up your hands i don't know <laughs> uh, i i uh i personally became a big cj stroud guy during the peach bowl when georgia kind of lost to ohio state even though they technically won and uh, stroud like seems like a high character kid and seems to me it's a lot he's very similar to bryce young as a player He just has a little bit more of the tangibles. Mm -hmm. Um, Apparently, Richardson has been the guy wowing with his interviews, which is surprising to me. But uh, I've read from multiple accounts that Richardson's really... uh, Not only did he impress teams on the field, he's impressed them off the field with how he's conducted his interviews. And so I've read reports that he could go number one, Mike, and uh, like not to count him out, which is kind of crazy to me. But it wouldn't be unprecedented with what we've seen you know, teams making reaches for quarterbacks based on not their college performances, but their combines. And so this year is really like, it's kind of crazy. I think for the longest time, we all felt like Bryce Young was definitely going to be the guy. And maybe he is, but now with, you know, (laughs) his height coming into question, measuring a little bit shorter than expected, Richardson outperforming his expectations, Stroud having a really strong postseason when Bryce Young wasn't playing, uh, when Anthony Richardson wasn't playing, and also having a pretty good combine. And then, uh, of course, for whatever reason, teams falling in love with Will Levis, I guess, due to his measurables as well. And it's, it's the first like year in a while where I, I truly don't know what quarterback is going to go first. Um, and I imagine these guys are going to be dissected so excruciatingly <laughs> that we're going to know every detail of their past from high school, every potential question mark, every you know medical exam they've ever had or health issue. I know when it was Fields, we we came to find out that he had had uh, seizures at yeah. some point, he And that was kind of out of nowhere. And so these guys are going to be dissected, like I said. And I think, you know, if I had to guess right now, I would still bet Bryce Young, but it feels it feels like team it feels like the buzz has kind of died down on him. So I guess we'll just have to wait and see. Um but if it, I like CJ Stroud, I'm just a little I think there's this anti-Ohio State bias and maybe for good reason their quarterbacks due to the competition they're playing in college or No offense Mike, uh to Illinois, um <laughs> due to uh you know a couple of busts over the years that there might be some hesitancy there.
0: No, no offense taken.
1: Okay, Doug. <laughs> uh, you know
0: what? I, we can close the book on this episode real quickly. Uh, one of the other big stories out there is the Major League Baseball pitch clock. Um, you know, so basically, they've instituted a pitch clock that has been found to reduce the time of the games by about 20, 25 minutes. What do you think, Doug? You a fan of this? You're a purist? Yes.
1: Yes. No, I'm not a purist. I am, I'm not a baseball purist. It's one thing I'm not a purist of. And uh, I'm all for it. Speed okay. up the game.
0: It, it seems to be, game. you know, it, it, my initial reaction was, I wonder if this is going to be distracting to having a clock kind of putting baseball on a pace. But it does seem like, you know, and sort of the purists might be offended. It seems like there's almost nothing but universal love on this thing. The purists will of,
1: hate it though. They will well, hate it.
0: But I, I'm surprised at how
1: like
0: li- I'm surprised at how little reaction there's been from the purists. We'll see once the regular season starts. But it, it, it seems like Major League Baseball kind of has a, a winner with, with at least one of the changes they're going into the, the 2023 season with. Okay, we'll wrap it there. Uh, as always, more content at www.fandomanalytics, and we'll talk to you guys next week.